0: Bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas.
1: Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to be your host. Today, I'm excited to have Mike Dulworth join us. He is the CEO of Executive Networks, which provides peer networks for talent executives of global 1,000 companies. In addition to helping people build their professional networks, Mike has a personal background of HR and leadership development. Mike is the author, co-author, or a contributor to seven books on executive development, learning, and high-performance organizations. We met over 10 years ago when I was the talent officer for McDonald's Corporation and a member of his executive networks. Welcome, Mike. We invited you to come talk about networking and the importance of a strong network. But first, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit about yourself, about your background, what you do now, and how you ended up in this current role.
0: Hi, Diana, it's really a pleasure to be here. I was in graduate school 100 years ago, uh, and at the time I was uh, interested in being the chief of staff to the president of the United States. So that was my job goal, (laughs) my career objective. And so I was getting a master's in public administration. I was based in Washington, but it was with the University of Southern California. had a campus there. And as part of that master's program, they had us do a bunch of very deep uh, personal assessments. And out of that became this epiphany that I was deep down an entrepreneur. And so the idea of of a life in government service, I'm not sure, was the path I should have been on. Um, So I pivoted at that point and actually started my first company, which was called InSync Corporation, which um, is an early version of what you would know today as like SurveyMonkey, one of these computer-based online uh, surveying and assessment tools. So, really, I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. But as part of that journey, I would have to say, um, you know, I've always been really interested in networking. Um, and um, one of the jobs that I had actually before I started in Sync was at the conference board in New York City and they run these things that they call councils and they're basically peer networks. And uh, I ran a couple of those councils for them. I don't know why I did because I was only 25 years old at the time and I knew nothing <laughs> about running networks or doing this sort of work. but. That's one of the things that was in my job remit, so I did it. And I really became quite interested and passionate about the idea of networks and the power of networks. And so, as I'll talk a little bit more, networks and networking have just been a very, very strong thread through my personal and professional life.
1: Yeah. And I have to clarify, you're not hundreds of years old. You started really young, because I remember when I first met you going, this guy is (laughs) so accomplished, and he's really young. So I think it would be fair to say you're a professional networker, right? Would you think that's accurate?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I think every time I've interacted with you, Somehow we start talking about what I'm doing and a need and, and I walk away with one or two people to reach out and talk to, which I thoroughly just appreciate about you that you definitely, you know, walk what you talk and, and you're you really are about helping other people, which I love and, and definitely something that you know, I think all of us can continue to look at how we could do a better job of. So let's talk about the definition of networking since, you know, people use it different ways. And I really love in your book how you defined it. So maybe, you know, stopping there and having you define what does networking mean?
0: yeah so i interviewed a whole bunch of you know quote unquote successful people you know just to get their take on networking and um how it's uh you know affected their life and kind of their strategies you know for networking marshall goldsmith who's a really famous executive coach leadership expert author was one of these people that I interviewed. And interestingly enough, I met Marshall through a guy by the name of Jim Bolt, who was the founder of a company called Executive Development Associates that I acquired a number of years ago and morphed into the company that I run today, Executive Networks. So it's another example of how through your life, you meet people who um, have a strong influence on you know your your personal and professional life and Marshall's definitely one of those people today, but Marshall had a saying um, that I captured in the book that he called, give first and give often. And this was kind of Marshall's take on networking, and he's a Buddhist, and so, you know, this I think has some elements of of Buddhism uh, built in it, but I think it's a really powerful phrase as it relates to networking, this idea of give first and give often. Because I think a lot of times people have a very negative idea of networking, or it kind of brings up a negative connotation for them. And it's all about um, getting, you know, I need, I want, and that kind of thing. And it makes people uncomfortable to ask and to, you know, to put themselves out there in that context. And if you just flip that, And you say, oh, you know, what I'm going to do in terms of my networking strategy is I'm just going to help people. I'm going to give first and give often. What Marshall said is, you know, you basically create this incredible pool of goodwill out there in the world that when you need help, when you need a question answered, when you need advice and guidance, you have a huge pool of people out there. That are willing to help you. So I think it's a really useful way of thinking about networking. Adam Grant, the professor from Wharton, wrote a really good book called Give and Take. And he basically categorized givers versus takers. And there's actually an assessment that Adam has on his website that you can take <clears throat> that says, you know, are you one or the other? Or are you somewhere in between? But his point being that it's way better to be a giver. Than a taker, and so this idea of networking—you know—flipping the sort of connotation to uh, this positive idea of of giving versus taking, I think, is a really useful way to think about networking.
1: Yeah, I love that. Give first, give often, and and wow, is that Marshall? I think about the first time I saw him speak. And he talked about, you know what, I've made enough money, and this must have been 20 years ago, that I don't need to keep working just for myself. And I work now to give back to others. So he started to reference some different things in his keynote speech. And he said, here's where you can go and get all the information. Here's where you can go and get the articles and tools. And I remember I was a young executive at that time and thinking, wow, what a phenomenal role model for people. He's not about, you know, let me see how much money I can make. And, you know, let me let me just give you a little bit and hook you so you have to go back and buy all my stuff. But it was all about go into my website, go get these articles. Here's where here's some great resources, just like you did, you know, telling you where to go to find some other information. So I love um, how you quoted him and, and that whole concept of you know, yeah, now first. he has
0: over a million followers on LinkedIn, which is amazing. <laughs> you yeah. know, and is a best-selling author and all of the above. So yeah, he's really lived the uh, lived it um, in his life
1: for sure. Well, we were talking about your book, which I still think is very relevant, you know, great content. It's called The Connect Effect. And in that book, you mentioned three types of networks, talked about personal, professional, and virtual. So now given the rise of social media platforms, since your book was published, do you still distinguish between those three, you know, virtual being separate?
0: I think, actually, it might even be more relevant today, and let me explain why I think that may be the case. You know, so I think that it goes to what I would call quality versus quantity, and I talk about this in the book as it relates to networks, and And there's not a good or bad answer to that. So there's not that, you know, the smaller number of high-quality contacts in your network is better than a large number of contacts that you don't know as well, because they're both good. It's a a yes and um, kind of an equation. Um, However, I think that in the context of personal, professional, and virtual, we start breaking down your networks in various ways and use different tools probably for the interactions that you have with these people. So in a personal context, probably Facebook is the, you know, still the thousand pound gorilla, where that's sort of a a representation of your personal life and your personal network in that regard, and you share things in that world that um, are unique to the people that are in that network, let's say. In um, it today, you know, now it could be Snapchat, now Instagram. These are the tools that people use to really interact with their personal networks. On the professional side, you know, of course, the, again, the thousand pound gorilla is LinkedIn. And that's a, a representation. You know, think of your profile within LinkedIn and how you represent yourself in a professional way is really radically different than the way that you in, uh, you represent yourself in a personal way. So I think this personal, professional, and the tools that you use are useful distinctions. And then the virtual, I think what I really mean by that is I think there are people within both of those networks, but probably more in the professional than the personal sphere that you've actually never met. I have over 3,500 contacts in LinkedIn, um, and I've probably not met 3,000 of them, right, personally. They're only a, a virtual interaction and that virtual interaction might be nothing more than i accepted a request to connect with them you know i think i did 12 of those yesterday <laughs> and uh, and so you know you really have no relationship with these people at all right and and they're in this idea of strength of relationship i think is a useful measure of the quality of your network but there's this idea that researchers of networking have come up with it's called the strength of weak ties strength of weak ties and it's basically the idea that you know if you do have a broad network that there are instances where that weak network that you have that broad big Uh, weak network can actually be much more valuable than your close, personal, in-person, I-know-these-people network. And one of the examples in the research that they use is how do people find jobs, you know, through networks. And basically what the research suggests is that you don't find a job through your one degree connection. So if I was looking for a job, I'd go to you, Diana, and say, hey, is there anybody that, you know, you can introduce me to, or do you know of any jobs? And and it's very unlikely that you're gonna know of something, you know, that's gonna get me a job, but you're gonna introduce me to a group of people. Um, And I'm going to talk to them. Well, it's not them that are going to find me that job. It's actually who they introduce me to. So, right. So it's sort of like a third degree of separation to this weak network, if you will, in terms I don't know these people. I've never been connected to these people. But that's actually what the research suggests is where you find the job. So I think this this metaphor is, is useful to think about, you know, this idea of, personal, professional, and virtual, because I think it's almost like a persona, right? So what is your personal persona can be very different than your professional persona, can actually be very different than your virtual persona. And and so how do you navigate that? How do you keep it authentic across that spectrum of personal, professional, and virtual, but know that it's different in various ways? So I think that sort of strategically thinking about that idea is something that is very useful if you're getting serious about improving your network and organizing, managing, leveraging your network in positive ways.
1: Yeah, I love that how you talked about, you know, just the the personal, professional and virtual and how you define the difference between how you see Facebook and like LinkedIn and I use it the same way. For me, especially, you know, family being spread out all over, I love Facebook to just stay in touch with, you know, my mom, my brother, my sisters, my kids, friends that you share in a different way. So that's a lot of professional people have reached out to say, hey, you know, be a friend on Facebook. And I always redirect them to LinkedIn, because I said, you know, LinkedIn's really where I have my more professional conversations. And like you said, there's many people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn that I've just met virtually. And it's amazing how things show up. You know, years later, somebody will say, a friend of mine connected with you, you know, 10 years ago, and I'm trying to remember this person. And then then I realized they connected with me on LinkedIn 10 years ago. It is a different world. So with that, in the different networks, I wanted to get your insights in regards to what you think the differences are, or your advice um, or recommendation as far as formally joining a professional network, or just trying to do it organically yourself?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, and um, I think the answer is um, something I said before: it's yes and. <laughs> and I and so I think maybe one way to sort of organize it to think about it is to. Think about what you're trying to accomplish, whether it's career objectives, life objectives, and think about it in the context of what I describe as a knowledge network. And so the idea here is you're at the center. You know, you have these needs, you have these objectives, you have these goals. So you're sitting at the center. And then who within your network can be bridges to knowledge and insights and intelligence in areas that will help you accomplish your objectives and think of it as, uh, you know, a hub and spoke graphic, if you will. And then are there 20 people out there in your network that you can connect with where, you know, if you're really interested in mountain biking, you know, in your personal life, you know, there's somebody who's just passionate about mountain biking and knows everything about mountain biking, and you can connect to them, and they're your kind of resource, but they actually send you stuff just periodically because they know that you're interested in mountain biking. And same thing in a professional world. Are there five or seven areas where, you know, if you were really on uh, on the cusp of the knowledge and intelligence in that area, you know, that would be very helpful for you but you know you can't be the expert or have the knowledge of 20 or 30 of these areas right that's just not possible but within a knowledge network and being at the center and being intentional and strategic about building that knowledge network you know you can actually have filtered insights you know, from that network coming to you um, at you know, the appropriate time or just in kind of a, a ticker tape uh, sort of flow of knowledge and intelligence. So I think this metaphor of the knowledge network is a very powerful one to help people really sort of step up their, their game, if you will, as it relates to organizing and leveraging networks.
1: One of the things that I really recommend to the people that I'm coaching and that I feel worked tremendously well for me was when you're in a new role or trying to maybe start a different kind of network or strengthen your network is joining some of these professional networks really gets you close to in an easy, fast way. People... That are like-minded, you know, like roles. So I think about my first networking event, it actually was one that you were hosting. I met people that were doing learning and development or overseeing talent for large corporations. And the thing that I loved about your network, it was smaller and it was really the practitioners. So you didn't have to worry about, you know, are there suppliers in here? If I say something, are they going to be, you know, calling me or sending hundreds of emails wanting to sell me something? And I like the smaller network. And I tell you, I have probably 10 or 15 good, I would say they're friends and colleagues and people I could pick up the phone today that I met through those original professional networks. And so I think it is a nice way to, to meet people to start your individual network. So I, I, I have big professional ones that I use, and then I have those informal ones.
0: Yeah and just to build upon that a little bit of a nuanced point there because I think what you're talking about in your experience are are largely you know these were in person networks not that there wasn't a virtual component to them that there was but and, and are but it, it's this this idea of building relationships through these networks with people who you consider to be your peers. That's what we do at executive networks is we build those and manage those and operate those kinds of networks. And it's amazing to me with these networks how fast people connect, how fast people deeply share, how fast people get very open and honest because they're high trust confidential environments. But you're all you're all sort of living. The same in the same world, right? You're doing the same job, might be very different industries, might be very different geographies, all of these kinds of things. But I do think the um, in person, I mean, part of that is really important because I think a lot of times today, mainly because we're just so sort of overworked, we're so time constrained, we're so busy that taking the time for the personal. Has really, you know, dropped by the wayside, and we think, oh, we can just do the same thing in a LinkedIn group, or we can do the same thing, you know, virtually by, you know, um, uh, participating in uh, a webinar or something like that. Um, but it's really very, very different because you just don't create the same relationships that, to your point, you know, have really followed you your entire life.
1: Yeah. I would agree, that in person. And it's in person doing a variety of things. So I think about some of the conversations I've had over breakfast or lunch or just some of the fun networking exercises that just get you talking and leveraging, like you said, that high trust, great people coming together that really will share and want to help you as well as get information to help themselves. As we turn and we think about networks, So looking at the health of your network is something that you went through in your book. And as somebody that is constantly looking at how can I continue to improve, I think many people in the talent role, leadership roles are those, you know, people that like to continue to improve. I really enjoyed and benefited by, you know, learning more about how to evaluate your current network. Could you share with our audience some of the tips on how they can evaluate the health of their current network and maybe make some improvements if they would choose?
0: So a lot of times people think of their network, they actually really think of their professional network as their network. Um, But I think that, you know, your personal network, your professional network, your virtual network is a useful construct, but just whatever the construct is, what is your network? start mapping it a little bit at a high level. What kind of network do you currently have? And and what I find is when you have people do that, just get a piece of paper out and start, you know, sort of articulating what kind of network they currently have and who's in their network. And they start adding things in like, who have I met? Or who's, you know, part of a school network, whether it's my former school network, like I went to the university of Michigan And it has, I think, one of the largest alumni networks in the world, 700,000 graduates. That's an amazing, in a sense, network that I have at my disposal that I don't think most people think about. But, you know, taking it down to community, taking it down to your church your clubs, your kids' schools. When you start really thinking about the breadth and depth of your network, it's actually much bigger and better, I find, than most people realize. So I think the first step is to get that that picture in your head and articulate, you know, what is your meta network. But within the context of your meta network, there's the strength of ties, right? There's the strength of the relationships. There's a construct called Medcalf's law it says you can kind of create uh, or keep in your head 150 people. Personally, professionally, you know, that's it. That's it. That's all your brain can keep track of. But as I mentioned in my LinkedIn network, I have thirty five hundred. So obviously, you know, most of my professional network, I can't keep it in my head. So how do you how do you know who's in your network? And tools like LinkedIn can be useful. Um, I think there's some ways to even you know have some tools out there that can be better than that, and we can talk about um, some of those uh, in a while. But then. strength of relationship i think is one uh way of kind of mapping filtering your network you might even think about building it into a b c d you know groups and the d would be like people that have just linked with me on linkedin that i don't even know you know we've never even had a discussion but a are the people that i'm both really strongly connected to, but also think are super valuable. So there's ways of kind of categorizing your network in in various ways that I think is, is useful. One of the things that I do talk about in the book, but I would stress even more today, is what I would call the diversity of your network. So if you were to map your network, most people would map their network today, their network would very much look like them. So if I'm a 50-year-old you know, white American, there's going to be a predominant number of 50-year-old white Americans in my network. It's going to be very homogeneous to me. What I think people need to do, what I've actually tried to do, a lot over the last 10 years is to create a much, much more diverse network, diverse by geography and by ethnicity and by age and all of the different, you know, sort of the big D diversity kind of of categorizations. And I think that it's the diverse network that actually can be way more powerful than a large homogeneous network.
1: I love how you you said, you know, think about how big your network is, because there were groups that you were talking about, like my church. I didn't really think of them as part of my network. That really does make me think about everybody I interact with, and are they part of my network, or could they, if, if I did more, could they be a little bit stronger of a network, you know, tied to, in my network, so... I like yeah, that. one
0: of the things that i say in the book that I, I think is very useful in that regard is if you you know even create the list of the 150 strongest you know connections in your network is to play the two degree of separation game and what i mean by that is that you could just go to those 150 people and you could say hey you know, Betty, you know, you know me, you know, you know quite a lot about me, but you know, these are some areas that I'm interested in exploring personally, professionally. You know, are there any, is there anyone in your network that you think it would just be interesting for me to talk to about, you know, these, these interests of mine and, you know, Betty will, because she's a first degree connection and she's a strong connection, she's very likely to introduce you to one or two or three people. So then if you have those conversations, right, then your 150 has now doubled or tripled or quadrupled, right, in terms of the size of your network.
1: So you've already given us some advice and some things to to look at in regards to evaluating evaluating our network. But kind of thinking of our audience as a whole, talent champions, so people in HR, talent you know, maybe they focus on the succession and the pipeline of leadership, as well as traditional kind of L&D individuals. If you were doing a networking performance review for that group as a whole, are there some key things that you would say, you know, this group should do better, different, or maybe stop, start, and continue doing?
0: Maybe the first thing is, I I think this, Idea, this this methodology, if you will, of organizational network analysis, ONA is the acronym, is a really underutilized tool uh, in the talent toolkit, if you will. And there's a professor, he's now at Babson, he's one of my favorite professors in the world. His name's Rob Cross. And if people are interested, it's just www.robcross, all one word, .org is his website. But he's the leading expert in the world around this idea of organizational network analysis, and I think that it's a it's a tool where um, you know talent uh, professionals can really leverage this tool to get much much uh, different and much better insights into the talent within their organizations. And uh, Rob's done all this research and one of the findings that he has um, that I uh, you know key into a lot um, with talent professionals is that the existing systems and processes that talent executives professionals use to date, succession planning processes, performance management processes, high potential development processes really only identify, of the talent that should be identified through those processes, 50%. So if you were a talent professional and you went to your CEO and you said, I can do this other methodology, this organizational network analysis, and it's going to help us identify 50% more people that are high-performing, high-impact talent within the organization Would you like to know that? (laughs) You know, and I think if I, you know, I am a CEO, and I'd be like, you better believe it. Especially (laughs) at an organization as big and complex as McDonald's, just think about that. So I I start there. I I think that that is just one of these tools that you know it is has been a kind of a complicated tool, but now it's actually with advances in software and. Uh, the cloud and mobile devices and all these things—it's actually become much easier to capture the data to then do these organizational network analyses. Um, so I'll, I'll put that out there as one that I think is is, is something that talent champions, you know, should really embrace.
1: I actually saw Rob at Babson two months ago. So he did a presentation for one of the clients that I'm working with. And I think I first met him in your network meeting um, 10 some years ago. His work is so impressive and simplistic. When you step back and look at it, he had shown his map of, you know, an organization and who talks to who, especially when decisions are being made and how you can identify who those key leaders are. And they may not be in those top roles but people use them because of their personal knowledge and who they connect them with and and just mapping that out it always really just is so enlightening and makes me think about okay the organizations that I'm working with where are these individuals that I'm coaching or advising and you know who else should be um, should we connect to based on who they interact with so yeah he is just a a brilliant guy and and just entertaining to listen to
0: yeah another one of his concepts that I would put in front of talent champions um, is the concept of collaborative overload. And he wrote a HBR article on this uh, in, I believe it's January of uh, 2016. Um, But the idea behind it, his research shows that today, um, many leadership executive talent um, are overloaded to the extent that they're starting to have mental and physical breakdowns. Um, that their that their co- collaborative demands on their work on their work life on their you know their personal life are so great and so 24/7 365 right so much travel so many meetings all you know so much with the mobile devices and email and text and chat that they're just they can't keep up they're overloaded and i think that organizations and talent people in particular need to start paying a lot more attention to that reality than they have. And it, it has a lot to do with organizational design. It has a lot to do with communication design. It has a lot to do with uh, decision rights. So it's, it's a complicated issue. But the outcome is that people are overloaded to an extent that it's really having some serious negative effects on their health and well-being.
1: That's definitely something one that I personally have seen and experienced, but one I'm hearing from a lot of our audience members as I'm interacting with the talent champions and some of the barriers and this uh, overload and, you know, sometimes diminishing productivity, because there's so many things that need to get done. And it's actually going to be one of the topics of a future episode. So thank you for bringing it up. And, you know, we'd love to continue to hear best practices from our audience as well as, you know, so many of the experts out there that are doing some great, you know, research and sharing some wonderful uh, insights like Rob and yourself. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. As as we think about the actual um, networking and, and going out and meeting people and getting to know them, I know one of the things that I've experienced with some of the people that I coach is it's just not comfortable, especially if I'm an introvert. And going into these networking events, many of the overall conferences, symposiums have these networking events and all of a sudden you're, you know, in a big room with a bunch of people and it can be uncomfortable for some people. Do you have any advice for those people that networking doesn't come naturally? I'm a
0: pretty heavy introvert, um, but most people probably would think I'm pretty extroverted when they meet me. And so I think this idea of introversion, extroversion is not one that, you know, has the definition or the outcome that people think it does. That introverts are, you know, bad networkers and extroverts are good networkers. It's not that at all. It, 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 that that idea, that construct actually has to do with more with kind of uh, energy management um, than anything else. But to my personal uh, story in that context, being a heavy introvert um, at the end of the day is that I've had to... Um, figure out a, an approach to networking that basically works for me <laughs> because I don't like big events, right? And so I think there's two things there. One is that if you find yourself in those events, try to find you know a person or two to have a deeper conversation with and then that's all about I think asking questions people love to talk about themselves so just start asking questions and have a lot of questions you know that that you can draw upon to just keep that discussion going until you get to something where you have a connection and then you can you know take that discussion forward around something that's of common interest start with, you know, (laughs) the basics and, and, you know, where do you live and where did you grow up and do you have kids and what kind of sports do you like, you know, start with the very basics and then, you know, move on from there. But what I've done for my own, uh, you know, world of, of networking is I do a huge number of lunches and lunch is kind of my designated networking, you know, time, if you will. So I like, one on one, and um, I also like, you know, having an ability to kind of have a, you know, a quiet, deep conversation with somebody about whatever. But even that, I control. So I have a very specific restaurant that I go to. I have a very specific booth that I sit in. I have, um, you know, a time period that I set for that. And, and it's 45 minutes. It's not like an hour and a half where if I, you know, if I'm there with somebody that I don't really connect with, or I don't know what to talk about. You know, it's, it's not something that's just going to drag on for, for, you know, hours and hours. And so that's something that I've just learned based on my own personality, you know, my own energy management, my own, you know, sort of ideas of introversion, extroversion that, that works for me. So I think people just need to find that, you know, find that thing that makes it comfortable and easy for them, and then to, you know, leverage the heck out of it.
1: Uh, great advice. You know. So how much time per week do you devote mm-hmm. to building and nurturing your own personal networks?
0: Yeah, I think the key there is just to weave it in to your, you know, personal and work life. And I use the two words, um, I've used them in this discussion, strategic and intentional. And I think those are good words to think about in terms of your network and your networking strategy is Is to have it be strategic and intentional. Um, whatever those words mean for you, you know, it has to be your your definition and your outcomes of that definition. But it, it's to make it a part of your life and to make it a part of your, your cadence, if you will, and not make it this separate thing. It's kind of like, you know, losing weight and going to the gym, you know, we all have great intentions, but we, you know, ultimately don't do it. And I think if you put networking in that same kind of a circumstance, you know, you're not going to do it. It's it's going to be this something that I need to do, but I just don't have time to ever get to it. So I think this idea of weaving it into your daily life, your daily flow, whether it's through lunches or through breakfast or through, you know, I'm going to have one call a week with a new person, or I'm going to ask, you know, my my core network of 150 There's going to be, you know, 52 people, one a week that I'm going to try to meet through that network every year, that those are um, things that um, you'll actually do and can accomplish within the flow of your life that isn't this extra special thing that, oh, I'll get to that networking thing, you know, when I have time and I'll just never get there.
1: Being strategic and intentional, I like that a group of or a portion of our audience are up and coming professionals, talent professionals. So these might be some of the millennials that are now just getting out in the workforce, and they're looking to, you know, really build a network. And I like how you talked about being strategic and intentional. So if I'm a new, let's say I'm an HR consultant or manager, and I'm, I have aspirations to continue to grow my career, and I'm just landed this first job, what are some of the first things that they should be doing to build a network?
0: That great question. Um, so, in the book, and actually, interestingly, maybe um, you know, we just uh, formed a new company um, called Flourish. It's F L E R I S H dot com, and the whole idea behind Flourish is to um, help people be successful in their career. And what the app, um, which is called U Y O U. Um, does is it helps people um, build a um, personal advisory board. Um, I call it a personal board of directors in my book. Um, And interestingly, this U app is built on the foundational um, uh, content in Reed hoffman's uh book the startup of you and reid hoffman's the founder of linkedin so he knows something about networking <laughs> i would say you know 650 million users i think today of, of linkedin but this idea of the personal board of a directors or personal advisory board, I think is a really good place to start. So this U app actually helps you do that. So it's an area that I'm kind of deeply interested in these days as it relates to networking is, you know, how do you really make it strategic, make it intentional, but also, you know, build it into your daily workflow, your daily life flow. So that's what we're working on today.
1: I love the idea of the personal board, or in my book, I call it that personal development board. And I think about how Uh, those individuals really helped guide me and gave me really frank advice and connected me to the right people. So as you grow, the people on your board will change based on where you are and maybe where you aspire to go. So I think that's some great advice uh, to start with. So talking about development and, you know, helping you grow and, and achieve more. If you had to pick a person, who's had the greatest impact on your personal life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? Does someone come to mind?
0: Oh yeah, I actually dedicated the book to him. <laughs> well, I dedicated the book to my parents, but uh, you know, but in the professional sense, it's definitely been my dad. Um, and one of the things I talk about in the book that I think um, you know for early career people that he just did—I don't know why he did it, but he did it—which I've just found to be the most life-changing thing that happened to me in my early career is he connected me. Um, to six people in his network. Um, so I was working in Washington DC at the time and there were six really, really interesting people that he knew. He, he actually set up meetings for me with these people and I talked to them about you know, my career to date, my aspirations and you know, some of my thoughts going forward. But then really it was about learning about their career journey. How did they end up where they ended up you know what were the pivot points for them you know what would they do differently today if um, they had a chance to redo something you know back in their their career or their work life and you know it's just crazily two years after um, one of those meetings one of those people Called me up out of the blue and said, "Hey, Mike, I have this job, and I remember you and your, you know, what you're interested in, and I think this is a perfect job for you. You want to interview for it? And I did, and I got the job, <laughs> and it totally changed, you know, my my career trajectory. And and interestingly, that person um, is an investor in Flourish, my new startup. So you know, that's that's 35 years." of, of a connection that was made, you know, from my dad got a job, and is still a a mentor and an advisor and now an investor. So how, how crazy is that? But that's, that's the power of networks.
1: No, I love that story. And to all of our younger listeners, go talk to your dad and your mom, they've got some great advice. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. Talking about advice, is there a final piece of advice that you have for our talent champions?
0: I I think I go back to, um, you know, being intentional uh, and strategic. Um, and just thinking about it in that way and trying to weave networking into your daily workflow and your daily life. But I would actually take them back to what we talked about at the very beginning with Marshall Goldsmith is this concept of of give first and give often. I think that is the the right way to approach networking and, and the more that you give, the more ultimately you'll get. And I have to say, I'll leave, you know, people with this this crazy thing that just happened to me through the network, just totally serendipitously, out of the blue, the CEO of Reed Hoffman's consulting firm got in touch with me and said, you know, Mike, I see these things that you've done. I see who's in your network. I know people commonly, you know, in your network. And we'd like to talk to you about working with us to take Reed Hoffman's book and build these apps and build these products around it. Are you interested in talking? And I about fell out of my chair. Reed's like my hero because he's like Mr. Network. And now, I'm in a business partnership with him today and who would have thought I mean I didn't plan that I didn't you know but I was building the network I was being intentional and strategic about my networking and lo and behold this life-changing thing just happened to me
1: as we wrap up how could our listeners connect with you
0: oh I think the easiest way is just through linkedin Um, So it's just, you know, my name, Michael Delworth, and uh, I I use LinkedIn as my sort of, you know, professional face to the world. Um, I think LinkedIn is, is the best way to get in touch with me.
1: Great. Well, wow, I thank you so much for making the time to be part of our podcast and for giving uh, to the audience so freely. You, to me, are my Mr. Networker. I think you are nah, the ultimate you. networker.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Dinah. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Come join us for our next podcast when we will be covering a topic we can all relate to, how to get everything done in a fast-paced and demanding world, Finding the time to focus on the activities that will have the greatest impact on the areas that matter while also working with less resources can be such a challenge. Join Corey Kogan, author of The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity, and B, as we talk about ways to prioritize and conquer your never-ending to-do list.
0: Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show, please visit talent-champions.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.